0: Everyone to Rockham Nation podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are within season six, episode twenty, and uh, here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I am your host Sam Snelling. With me, as always, from Indianapolis, Indiana, the uh, the headquarters of the Nc2a. Matthew J. Harris, Matt, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Uh glad to actually talk about real basketball instead of inundating uh the slack channel with Matt Watkins and bombing you with all manner of strength of record and adjusted efficiency margin uh data as it reg- as it pertains to the large pool. Uh we're going to talk about real basketball instead of spreadsheets tonight. So I guess that that's better than the alternative and it's certainly better for you.
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I have had some uh, some discussions um, online recently of you know people and their are sort of um, and I'm sure this is not very many of our listeners, but uh, the the sort of failure to understand uh, the efficiency margin and and why that matters and how teams that Missouri has beaten are higher than them in the net. Uh, and also in like Ken Palm ratings and all that kind of stuff and, and how that works. And it's almost like we've written about this uh, extensively in the past. Um, but, you know, efficiency margin is is one of the things that predictive uh, predictive me- metrics use to, um, you know, basically tell us what is most likely to happen. Like that's essentially what predictive metrics are is, is this is uh an, an idea of what what will probably happen
1: which the committee doesn't really care about
0: that well and and the but- net as far as we know is i mean they use they do use efficiency margin but they don't use it for predictive metrics like they're not right you know they're basically doing what um you know what Pom is doing in the ratings which is you know, using efficiency margins to rate teams and using weighted efficiency margins, uh, you know, to sort of, you know, get the the order right, uh, as, as best they can. And that's why you kind of see things get jumbled pretty early on and then sort of, you know, even out a little bit as the season goes along. Um, you know, where, you know, Ken Palm, what he does is he starts with preseason weights and, and leaves those in place and sort of, Wien's about over time, and I think what by like mid January they're usually gone. Yeah. Um, you know, but but he's basically doing that. Uh, the NCAA is not not doing that at all. Um, you know, but it's it,
1: why things look crazy in December? Yeah, but it, first out. but
0: it's still roughly the same basis of a system. Uh, and and honestly, it's, it's very similar to a lot of the algorithms that, you know, that I use just for, you know, the game by game basis and and doing study all. So
1: they're using the same stats. Which, again, efficiency margin, it's a fancy name for this. This is the order of operations. You take the points Missouri scores, you subtract the points they give up. You take that number and divide it by possessions. And you get efficiency margin. That's that's what it is. Yeah. And then you rank teams by it. Like so when people say these rankings are silly or they're not basing them on the games and yeah, they are. They it's literally based on what Missouri is doing while playing basketball. At, at its very fundamental core, that's what it is. This is how simple it is. Dean Smith of North Carolina was using <laughs> efficiency margin in the nineteen sixties. It's part of the reason why Dean Smith started playing faster basketball was because he figured out that his team was scoring more points each time down the floor when it had more possessions and played faster. Like, so that's, I guess at the end of the day, you're going to hear predictive metrics or efficiency margin. All it is, is the difference between how many points a team scores, how many it gives up divided by possessions. And the reason why Missouri is bad in efficiency margin <laughs> is because their defense gives up a lot more points relative to other teams in front of them. Yes. Yeah, relative,
0: and relative. Everything is, everything is relative on this scale. The offense is, is great.
1: It's top 10 in, in efficiency. Which is great. So that, that number is big. But Missouri gives up a lot of points. That number is big, which means they rank low. So if you're really at the end and they play fast. So at the end of the day, all you need to know is that Missouri's margin, the difference between what it scores and what it gives up, is smaller, which is not good than anybody else. Adjusted for a product. Yes. (laughs) But and again, this is the other thing we've talked about. This is why the schedule is important. Because Missouri played crappy teams in non-con and didn't do well defensively, at times, it drags their rating down. So when you tell me that they shouldn't care about non-con, well, all the games matter. You shouldn't tell me that they should care about garbage time. Fans also say we should judge the season based on the results on the floor. That's what we're doing. Every possession counts. You don't get to go through and pick and choose and line item. them. Every possession matters. And Missouri has not been good defensively at times, and it hasn't been good enough for all of its possessions in a game. That's why it's behind other people. And it has done that against a considerably weaker non-conference schedule. That's their thing. That's it in a nutshell. Giving up too many points against, you know, a weaker non-con and not playing, you know, probably all the way through the whistle. That is that probably the best way to think about it.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair way. And it's one of the things that we've sort of, You know, discuss a little bit is you know, particularly like the garbage time part of it. I know that's been sort of a point of contention. um, You know, as you know, particularly kind of coming off the the LSU win. um, So as we're getting you know caught up here, uh, we last spoke prior to uh, them beating LSU by ten points and losing at Mississippi State by eleven points. you know, the LSU game is sort of a good example of a game that sort of felt like Missouri should have won by a larger margin. Um, They had about a 15-point lead with a couple minutes to go and were just sloppy with the ball and had several turnovers. I think they had like three or four turnovers in the last minute and a half. Yeah. Um you know and basically just giving LSU more opportunities to sort of narrow that margin and since the uh expected margin was about 10 points um and that's where it landed like it didn't that game didn't help Missouri other than you know notching another win but if you're looking at you know like what you want for your team is you want to always you know beat the margin whether that's uh, you know, on the road, Mississippi State was you know projected loss of three points. Like, obviously, you don't want to lose that game, but if you lose, you want to probably try to lose within that margin. And Missouri lost by a larger than that margin. Um, so you know, the last couple games really haven't helped Missouri, and and that's why they've sort of you know fallen in uh in some of the you know the the net rankings and Ken Palm ratings and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yep. Just do the things you're supposed to do. And if you're Missouri, the beauty of the net system is they don't really adjust for margin of victory. So it's not like the, at least that's the thought. The NCAA doesn't you know, publish its algorithm or how it weights things, but it's thought by people who are much smarter than me that they're not adjusting for margin of victory. So if you're Missouri, it's in your interest to absolutely beat the brakes off people. Because you get no benefit from just hitting the margin against LSU. Which you, the benefit you get is overperforming against the margin. So <laughs> that's timely because tomorrow night they play basically the number 280 team in Kempom. They're a 17 point favorite in that, based on the predictive metrics. It would behoove Missouri to absolutely take South Carolina behind the woodshed and 30 ball them. Because if you run up that margin, it's going to backfill because the you know all these possessions go in one bucket. They're not earmarked. If you lose by 11 at Mississippi State, you're 8 points behind the margin. If you overperform by 13 against South Carolina tomorrow, you come out 5 points ahead. So it's in Missouri's interest to absolutely not show any sportsmanship at all and just absolutely beat the brakes off of South Carolina. So that's, there we go. That's our lesson this weekend. (laughs) Efficiency margin and and why it matters and why you should care about it. And also it's what the NCAA is using. You can dislike it all you want. You know, it's not, you know, intuitive in the certain sense of like an an eye test, but it's what the NCAA is doing. And fundamentally the concept is pretty straightforward, but what you need to know is Missouri should not lose four of these next eight games. And the four weaker teams they play, they should absolutely be striving to wallop them, just beat them into oblivion, and get the margin back, back in their favor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think like you know the the takeaway is you know, and I do actually think like Missouri has done things, uh, you know, to to look like they're improving defensively. They, uh, you know, they still have some missed assignments. They still, uh, have you know, penalties for maybe over gambling and leaving, you know, drivers open and there's a couple very easy dunks um for uh for for Jeffries and the Mississippi State game and uh even like Cam Matthews had like a coast to coast layup. <laughs> it was like uh, you know, and he's he's a hard guy to miss. Um you know, but I I I think overall like things have gotten slightly better uh you know in the last few weeks. Um it's a matter of kind of continuing that and then also i I almost feel at least against mississippi state like you know one of the things that we may be able to get into is some of the rotational changes uh that we saw from dennis gates and and some surprise moves um i certainly wasn't a huge fan of what he was doing but um you know he's uh he's a guy that Stuck by his guns and in, in the, the the presser today, and and they certainly thought he was doing the right thing, and maybe still thinks that was the right thing to do. It it whatever it happened, it didn't work, but they did hold a bad offense to you
1: know bad offense, um, it- which I guess my 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 counter to that is they were giving Mississippi State jumpers and Mississippi State was missing them, which a lot of other teams have done. To me, I think the, the bigger question is going to be, you know, what they were trying to do in the post. And if that's the plan was to try and limit, you know, <laughs> Tolu Smith in the post and compete on the glass, uh, uh, I, they were even in rebound margin, which I guess is a win, but Tolu... <laughs> had himself a day yeah so if the objective was to you know limit them along the front line it there's there's nothing you can say other than that it failed there's no other objective conclusion you can reach than it was a it was a failure
0: yeah i think in study hall i i had uh had them for like 30 of their 36 points um their 36 made two-point field goals or layups and dunks Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, they only made three threes. Um, they shot a lot of free throws and they're not a particularly good free throw shooting team. Um, Beat the
1: margin on free throws.
0: Yeah. They, they did shoot better than expected. And even like, I think at one point they had only missed like one or two and it sort of came down a little bit towards the, uh, the end of the game, um, closer to their, their, I guess, regular percentage, but still above it. Um, but a lot of that was, was Tolu. Tolu, you know, shot 12. Uh, he's normally a guy who, out of those 12, probably normally makes seven or eight, and he made nine. Um, So I guess good for him.
1: Yeah, this was, you know, looking over, you know, I was looking over that, the numbers after the game. Mississippi State still shot the insane percentage inside the arc, still had a lot of, like you mentioned, high, you know, high proficiency around the rim. Missouri is going to foul a lot because it's a pressure team. Missouri fouls a lot anyway. So I wasn't surprised to see the free throw count be a little higher. So everything sort of made sense to me in terms of what happened there. And, you know, Missouri didn't allow one point per possession, but, you know, they still allowed the equivalent of 15 points more per 100 possessions to the worst team, arguably offensively in the SEC. So, relative to what Mississippi State normally does it was a great night for them you know probably you know almost 20% more efficient than they usually are so once you really kind of know where the water line is for them and you know how high above they were offensively and you look at just look at Tolu's line it, it's a pretty fair indictment of the game plan in the Scout and I know that you know Dennis was you know, it read like he he was getting his dander up a little bit, I think, when he was asked about the lineups, which I sort of understand. And like even after the game, when he addressed it, I, I sort of followed like his logic of what they wanted to do. Like they wanted to try and, you know, keep Kobe out of foul trouble because when they have to sit him for too long with two fouls, it kind of grinds the gears down offensively. And so if you can keep him at the four where he's not having to maybe pick up you know Cam Matthews as much because Cam Matthews is still kind of off the ball and is mostly a cutter, and he's not having to, you know, beat Tolu to a spot that makes sense. So it made sense from my perspective that he would keep him at the four a lot. My question is what they did at the five and how they used that spot because Noah Carter was minus 13 in five minutes at the five. And I think you used the stat I gave you in study hall, which is. You know, if you look at the start of the first half and the start of the second half, that was three minutes. Missouri was minus eight in that stretch, and that makes up almost all of Noah's time on the floor at the five. Like, just the plan at the five didn't work. And so the question is, if you didn't want to play Kobe there, why not start Modiara at the five? You know, why not? You know, Because on paper, at least on film that I've seen, wasn't perfect, but Missouri was basically break even in his time at the five. And then if you need to spell Kobe, why wouldn't you put Aiden Shaw on the floor? At least for a guy who I think athletically can match up with Cam Matthews. Why would you keep him parked? The debate that around is, you know, Aiden a role player? Is he, you know, where is he in developing? I think Aiden Shaw is doing exactly what he should be doing at this point. I think his development's right where it should be. But I think the question for me is not like, is he developing? Is it, was there a use for him in nine minutes or, you know, 10 minutes to give Kobe a break? And I think there could have been at the four and it could have allowed you to play Mo more at the five and would it have been perfect? Would it have like completely stopped Tolu? I don't think so, but I think it could have mitigated it enough to where is it taking five, six points off the board and giving Missouri a shot going into the final five minutes? I I think you could make a pretty reasonable argument that that might have been the case. But I don't know what your what your thoughts were on the rotation, just sort of how it was managed. Yeah, I mean, I don't like
0: I, I feel like we've we've talked about some of these guys in the past and I don't, you know, I never really like, you know, bagging on any any of the players. Um I, but I'd I'm not entirely sure what what Caleb Brown uh provides them at this point. Um, I don't think he's necessarily like a, a terrible player, but when you, when you ask him to sort of do things that, I don't know, like you need, you, like you need guys like Des Moy Hodge and you need guys like Isaiah Mosley. And, um, you need those guys doing these things. Not, not, you know, Caleb Brown, like Caleb's turnover rate is high. Um, like one of the things that makes this team work is the fact that it has a tendency to not turn the ball over. And, and so if you have, you know, a guy with a turnover rate and, it, you know, part of that is also, you know, Mosley was turning the ball over. Uh, so it makes it a little, a little tougher. Yeah. um, You know, but Hodge really doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, You know, Nick honor doesn't really turn the ball over. Uh, Sean East, his turnover rate isn't, isn't bad but he he is sort of prone to some questionable decisions at times
1: he'll take some home run shots in transition that don't always pan out
0: yeah um you know so and you're going up against really a a, a great defense i just i i feel like if you're going up against the best defense um you know possibly that you've faced to this point um and you know on the road and all that, kind of stuff, that Your best bet is to try to do as much as you can offensively uh, to mitigate that, because I just don't think Missouri, with any lineup at this point, has proven that they're good enough defensively. Um, You know, they're they're okay with some lineups defensively, but they're not necessarily good. And it, I just think like that's got to be your goal going into that is is we've got to find ways to manufacture points. I actually liked what he did in the first half at one point where he's just like, look, we're having trouble in the half court. Uh, we're going to look to ISO Isaiah and, uh, and, and Dree and just go with those guys
1: and, in, in yeah. isolation and and see what they can create for us. And it kind of worked <laughs> for a little while. Second half, they went for guard. They did the exact opposite of what you thought of what it sounded like they wanted to do, which was get a little bigger. They went for guard and spread it, put Kobe at the elbow and, stole Bill Self's 1-4 high play or 4-1 high play and just ran backdoor cuts, spaced it, and just let Kobe attack. And it felt like when they got smaller and they played out or they could screen for each other, they did that a little bit in the first half where they kind of just spaced a big to the corner and they just said, we're going to see if you can operate one-on-one where you can't be in gaps, where you can't rotate, you've got to try and sit down and stay in front of our guys. They got some stuff going. And you know they, they sort of went away from that and it's and it's hard to you know, I don't I, I certainly don't like bagging on guys either. But, you know, if the team thing that this team does well is it has a great assist to turnover ratio. Like you mentioned, Caleb's not in that you know spot right now. It, last year, he was a 20 percent assist rate to 40 percent turnover rate. So that's one to two assist to turnover this year. It's again, it's low minutes. So it's really, really skewed because of possessions. But nine point six assist rate. 51.2 turnover rate you're not getting you know the assisted turnover rate which dennis in any form will tell you that's the number he looks at so right off the top there that's not working for you if you believe that you know this team needs to space the floor in order to have operating room, whether that's for when it gets into its triangle based stuff or it's playing out of ball screens in a five out setup you need shooting caleb's 4 for 14 in his career from three there's, so you're not getting the spacing. You're not getting the kind of ball handling you need even to initiate. Defensively, he can play off the ball, and you can maybe hide him a little bit there. But the bigger deal to me is in a game, like you said, where you need offense, if you put him on the floor like they did at times with Mo Diara, and I love Mo because I think he's making progress, but you've essentially got two non-actors offensively, two guys that the defense does not have to worry about and so they can load up to everybody else. And so that was my thing. It's like, okay, I think you could have built in some fail-safes and some, you know, some fire traps for what Mississippi State wanted to do. I think you could have done that in the front court without having to sacrifice so much offensively. And just to the broader point, it felt weird to watch Missouri, in some senses, concede some of its identity and try and play on Mississippi State's terms. That, that felt jarring to me. To, to watch them sort of say, you know, we're going to try and, you know, bargain with you a little bit in terms of how we play. I understand you have to scout and try and make concessions, but it felt like there were a few more things left on the table or given over than Missouri normally does. And I think that was sort of not disheartening, but just sort of interesting to see Missouri make that decision.
0: It definitely felt like this game more than, you know, probably any that we've seen so far this year where where they lean so far into their opponent uh, versus relying, you know, like you, you always have a scout for your opponent. You always have their tendencies. You, you are building as big of a book as you can to try to stop what they want to do.
1: But you're always trying to get the game onto your territory on your terms.
0: Right. And I feel like this is really one of the, the first times, you know, and I, I didn't, you know, I was, not around for the uh AM and Florida game. I did not go back and watch them. I did come uh go back and watch uh you know the Arkansas uh home game. Uh you know, and I was back for Alabama and I I thought for the most part like what I saw them against Arkansas and, and and Alabama that they were playing like we're used to seeing Missouri play and I didn't really feel that. Like there was stretches where they were kind of able to kind of get the tempo up and uh, and you know they were kind of doing their thing you know gambling on on defense and they were trying to get some runouts and all that kind of stuff um but just by simply like you know playing Majak, um
1: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
0: You know, to me, felt like a concession. Yeah, and I like that's the first time where I've been like, oh wow, like they're really trying to combat this instead of maybe doing some shiftier things on the defensive end to 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 play with the fact that you're you are are at your best when you're undersized, and I think that's that's sort of what was surprising for me.
1: Yeah, you know, we spend a lot of time, folks I'm sure love hearing about the Slack channel, but really looking at, you know, what do you do on Tolu and how do you roll to it, Tolu? Because he turns the ball over 20, 25% of the time in post-ups, which is high. And realistically, you know, the thing you want to do is you want to beat him to the spot, which Missouri failed miserably at doing. You know, Tolu got whatever positioning he wanted to. But then off of that, where are you rolling help to him, and how you know when is that help coming? When's that double coming? You know, Missouri was sending it from the baseline side, which is a longer bit of territory to cover. Sometimes, you know, they will send it from the top side, you know, or more from like the immediate low help guy, but then you're giving up a be- then you're giving up a cutter into the backside off the 45 degree angle out to the opposite slot. So it seems like what they were doing was they were sending baseline help. Because then Tolu's got to see a skip to the corner to replace. And that's a longer one. You can have a guy recover out. I think that's, does that sound right to you? I'm trying to remember how you would want to do that and rotate if you were trying to do that. But you were saying what they probably should have done was just roll two to him and dig off the wing and just really have a guard slip down and try and get in there and dig the ball out and rip it out. Is that probably, I think that's probably the best summation of what we were talking about, but Missouri wasn't doing any of that. They were. A lot of times, just going solo and, and playing one up, and maybe rolling a helper over once Tolu started getting to the rack. But
0: yeah, the the help situation, what they were trying to do, I think, was kind of come on the baseline side. But uh, I just I, I feel like you, you know, that's a slower developing attempt, and it's it's always better if you're able to just sort of get there faster uh, and make him make snappier decisions. I I and I think we you know we probably already talked about this but you know just being able to double fast um whoever's throwing the entry pass just just fall and 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 try to dig at the ball as soon as he receives the ball and I think that's probably your best bet um I've always been a bigger fan also of just being able to to play in front if you can and try to make guys make tough uh over the top passes and and try to have your help side take that ball away um, it's a little tougher with bigger physical you know guys like you know guys that are strong uh, like tolu but uh you know it it's something that can work and and even force some turnovers because that's you know a lob pass
1: is a tough pass to make yeah and guys don't there's the common limit now is what guys don't know how to throw entry passes so it's not something that's necessarily taught you know as consistently as it once was particularly you know on that kind of lob or post pin entry it's a little bit harder to get there so Again, I'm sure the staff had the reasons for doing what it did, and you know, part of it was I think that you know if when I've ever watched Mississippi State, you know their guys are trained pretty well to to get that angle cut, you know once it goes into Tolu, So I think they were probably worried about giving up maybe that gap over on that side. But it was it was a little bit strange, uh, just to watch sort of what the game plan looked like and sort of what Missouri was willing to concede. Maybe Um, it's maybe it's the long play, Matt.
0: It's. It's setting Mississippi State up for a a home drubbing.
1: That's the hope. (laughs) Because they might need that game in a month. They might need that Mississippi State game in a month in Columbia. Um, But hopefully there's not as much anxiety over what happens tomorrow night. We're recording on Monday as we always do. um, Or we try to. And I, I hate to disparage anyone, but Tomorrow night should be boring. It should be very boring, or that's the ideal outcome. Or we should have a lot of garbage time. There should be ample amount of garbage time tomorrow if things go the way they should. South Carolina comes to town, and that net ranking peaked at like 269. nine. It is sunk back into the 280s. It is, it's been rough sledding for Lamont Paris in year one there. We thought they would be bad
0: um they have been even worse than i expected them to be um with that said though uh they did yeah like they, they did beat kentucky uh i think what they're basically what they're able to do is they're able to play pretty well um every once in a while uh when they kind of get everybody working together and, um, you know, when Gigi's kind of doing his thing and, and Johnson's kind of doing his thing, uh, you know, Josh Gray is, is, you know, a solid, uh, level center. Um, who's, uh, Hayden Brown is the, you know, a guy who's kind of capable of, you know, being a multi-tool guy. And so, you know, that's one of those things where, they did beat Kentucky at Kentucky. That was a weird game. Uh, South Carolina, you know, shot eleven of twenty from three point range. One of those was Michi Johnson was six of ten. They nearly beat Arkansas. Uh, that is something worth noting. Michi Johnson was five of eight from three point range. Uh, Gigi Johnson or Jackson, sorry, was uh, two of three. um, so, Seven and nineteen overall. Like they're a team that you know when the three balls is is working for them, uh, they they can they can be a little, little scary. But they're not a good three point shooting team. They're thirty two percent on the season. You know Jackson's thirty three percent. Uh, Johnson's thirty two percent. If those guys have average nights, um, you know they're they're just not going to be able to score enough points. Um, and really, those are the two guys that you worry about like Jackson is, you know, a lottery pick level talent. Uh Mitch Johnson is you know, I, I I don't know that he has an NBA future ahead of him, but he's he's certainly a guy who's capable of having a big night. Um you know, he was a, yeah. what was it? former like top 60 level guy, 70 level.
1: Yeah. Top 70 level kid. Um went to Ohio State enrolled early. And never quite like got a hold of the point guard position there. And point guard's a lot like quarterback. If if you're not starting after two years, you're probably going in the portal. You're you're gonna you're gonna go find a place where you can get opportunities and reps. So, um, moved on there. Um, but he's been hit or miss. Gigi's capable of big nights, but that kid is shouldering a heavy workload, playing eighty percent of minutes. 31% of shots when he's on the floor, 29% of possessions. It's it's just a lot. It's it's a high volume one and the and the shooting numbers are not great. Um 44, 41.1% from 2, 33.6% from 3, which is slightly below average and just shooting 63% of the line. So a lot of touches but not necessarily efficient touches. But he can catch a heater and I think that that's sort of the under you know, the undercurrent here is this is a team that on the right night can put a scare into you. The question is, was Arkansas the team in that cycle to get a scare um, from this group? But you look over have the, not other the than, here,
0: you know, the the weird game at Rup, they have not really played very well on the road.
1: No. And the thing about it is they they won at Rup, lost by 41, lost by 12 lost by 25, lost by 19. They did lose in overtime at Georgia, but Georgia's number 116 in Kempom, lost by 15 to Mississippi State, and then put a little bit of a scare to Arkansas. So by and large, this is a team that maybe every third or fourth game can, you know, put enough together to scare you. But yeah, the the road has not been kind to them uh, this year. The And really, if you're Missouri, you know this is a game where y- you can't afford to lose it it's just it flat out i know some people will say it's alarmist and it's you know it's overreacting but you cannot lose this basketball game and have it on your team sheet it's just yeah it, it one of the happen.
0: the advantages that missouri has right now and like the NCAA conversation is the fact that they have no blemishes like
1: their strength yeah, of the record their, is really their, good
0: their quad 1 is a little ugly um you know, but quad two, quad three, quad four are all, you know, they're they're pitching a shutout, um, and they're probably before the year is out going to catch at at least a quad two loss, um, you know, maybe maybe yeah. two. I don't, you know, without really thinking about uh the schedule too much, you know, they're probably going to catch a quad two loss, but you cannot catch quad three or quad four loss at this point. Um, it just leaves nope. a little too much work for you to do you know to get back into the quad 1 and quad 2. Um and this would be what? a Quad 4? Is this a quad 4 game?
1: Yeah. This is a quad 4 so game. So this It's a quad 4 game anywhere you play it, home, road, yeah. neutral. So you
0: you need to win this game. Um I think they will, I think, you know, they're they've shown that they're uh, you know, a a good team at home. South Carolina is not a team that defends very well. Missouri should be able to score points. Uh, when Missouri is scoring points, it puts pressure on you know teams that don't score the ball very well to score a lot of points, and I just don't know that South Carolina will be able to keep up. Uh, I would like to see that margin to be a very, very, very big margin. Um, I would like to keep that margin as a very big margin as opposed to giving up some of those points be- or giving back some of those points in garbage time. Um, Because what is happening, Matt, is uh, Missouri is going to Knoxville on Saturday to play uh, the best defense by adjusted efficiency and pretty much any other metric you want to measure uh, in Tennessee. And that is going to
1: be a difficult game. This this has got to be like CY's dream lineup, right? Like, two... Two guys that, you know, in Zekai's Ziegler and in Santiago Vescovi, who can absolutely pressure the living crap out of the basketball. You got two Velociraptors on the wing and Josiah Jordan James <laughs> and, and Julian Phillips. And Lillian Vienna Kamala, who's a five, but is not quite Eve Pons, but hyper mobile, great rim protector. They can absolutely get after you. They they can rotate everywhere. They understand what they can do because the ball pressure is so good. Those guys can gamble in gaps a little bit. And if they miss, oh, here's a combo just kind of roving around on the backside to to take away the rim. It's it's an elite defense. It's up there with probably one of the best of the Kim Palm era, which, you know, if you go back to when the ratings were out there, it's two thousand and two. This is this is a really good group. It's they they will grind you into a pulp. It's Mississippi State's defense with better talent. That's that's probably the best summation I can give you. Mississippi State with better talent on the defensive end.
0: They're like four points better than the second rated uh, adjusted defense. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous like that's that's a that's a significant margin. Um, yeah, so last year's best defense Texas Tech was 85 uh, two years ago Memphis was 86.4. Eighty five point one Virginia. I think you have to probably go back to one of Virginia's one of the Virginia teams. One of one of the Virginia teams ended up like almost getting right around eighty. Uh I'm maybe not quite right. that low. I I'm still haven't at- gotten below eighty three. I'm I'm back in twenty eleven. Eighty seven point seven Florida State. Eighty six point one.
1: Eighty four point eight was thirteen from Louisville. 84.2 Memphis. Yeah. So, I mean. wait Yep. Like
0: I said, they are in the conversation. Yeah, this is the best. I mean, I also think, like, part of this is uh, one of the things that we sort of talked about is I really kind of feel that a lot of college basketball is still trying to figure out how this transfer portal thing is going to work out. Uh, and so there's a lot, like, college basketball looks really different, like, the last few years than it has in the previous, you know, 15 and 20. Um, and so for that, like, I, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that are happening um, around the game statistically that that may look like outliers. And this may be one of them. Like, there, we have a lot of really good defensive teams. The SEC is absolutely loaded with good defensive teams. Uh, you know, Tennessee
1: is, is 100% at the top of that list. Yeah. And what Tennessee has is they have, you know, in a, in a time of the transfer portal, they've got a ton of stability. Alimia Kamwa has been there a long, long time. San August Scovy's on his third year. Zakai is a sophomore, played a lot as a frosh. Side Jordan James has been there four years. They've got a ton of guys with seat time there. And you can plug in a Julian Phillips and, you know, integrate him pretty easily. You know, even Euros Plopsic has been there a long time as a transfer. Tyreek Key has been there two years, you know, Mashak and Adu didn't play a lot as freshmen, not playing a ton this year, but Rick Barnes keeps those guys. And by year three and four, they start filling the roles at Nakamwa or Jordan James or Vescovi fills. And those guys have seat time. They have chemistry. They understand the system. They understand how he wants to play the system. You know, the principles involved, and they can execute. So it's, it's a team that I think not only recruits at a really high level, but Rick does a great job of keeping guys in his system for a long, long time, getting continuity, which I think is now more than ever, probably the most, one of the most important numbers you can look at on a Kim Palm is What kind of continuity does a team have? They've got a ton of it. And offensively, you know, there's some weaknesses there. You know, we, you know, you and I were talking about they don't really have an alpha that can become a dominant score for them when their base system doesn't work. But, man, defensively, if it's a team game, it's a system game. These guys execute it to perfection. They're they're absolutely marvelous to watch. If you're into that type of thing, I watched them against Auburn on Saturday, and, man, that was rough to watch offensively in some ways. I don't think both teams are running the best stuff. But, man, to watch Tennessee when it's in full – you know, in full bloom there, and just sort of doing what it's doing defensively. It's it's an impressive thing to watch, and Missouri has to figure out a way to sort of um, jury rig a solution to that.
0: Well, one of the ways that they could, and this is actually something that's been discussed by uh, our good friend and former friend of the pod, uh, Ken Pomeroy. Um, Ken has brought up Tennessee's like supreme outlier of three-point percentage for their opponent shooting, and they are first in the country at 21.9%. If you actually go through their game plan and sort their defense by three-point percentage, like only once has Tennessee seen a team shoot better than like 33%. And they, uh, Florida shot seven of twenty. That's thirty-five percent. The shooting percentages for three-point shooting that that Tennessee has seen is ridiculous. They've had one, two, three, four, five games, uh, where teams have shot better than thirty percent. Everything else is below, uh, you know, below thirty percent. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games below uh, uh, below twenty percent. So obviously, uh, you know, we've talked about in the past how three point defense is sometimes a lot about luck. You can leave a guy open uh, and he'll he'll miss. You can guard a guy and he'll make. And sometimes that's just how it works. Um, you obviously don't want to leave a lot of guys open, uh, to attempt wide open threes. Tennessee does not leave a lot of guys wide open to attempt threes. The guys that are wide open to attempt threes against Tennessee are usually the guys that Tennessee wants attempting three-point shots. Um, you know, for, you know, for Missouri, that's probably not going to be guys like the Hodge or, you know, maybe Kobe Brown or even Isaiah Mosley. It's, it's probably going to be Uh, you know, like, you know, DeAndre Golston, who's a little streakier. Um, You know, maybe you wait and see, like, Noah Carter, if if he, because if he kind of makes his first one, then you might want to guard him on his second. But uh, also, he's a guy that is just as likely to go, like, you know, three of five as he is 0 for 5. So that's one of those things, like, Three-point shooting is always important. Going on the road and scoring points uh, is difficult. If you shoot the ball well from three-point range, it becomes easier. Uh, And so much of what Missouri tries to do offensively is predicated on being able to space the floor. Uh, And if you're not making outside shots, it becomes a little tougher to to space the floor.
1: Yeah, and Tennessee's really, really good at, at limiting your, your, your guard your unguarded looks they are i think among the top 50 nationally in terms of guarded three-point attempts and you want to be higher in that list you want to be up there for guarded catch and shoot so i think that's the difference too is they're there on the catch you're not getting a clean sight line to the rim you're probably not getting probably into your shooting rhythm as quickly or in fl- as fluidly so that's that's one thing to consider there too the one thing i would say that tennessee this is a really minor thing and you know, I don't know how much Missouri would be willing to do it. They are not great against the press. The, you know They'll turn it over 21% of the time against the press. And synergy is great because it will tell you how many times the press backs up into man-to-man defense. Like how many times you, you transition out of the press into playing man-to-man and what the points per possession is there. Tennessee only averages like .74 points per possession. Coming out of the – when it has to navigate the press and then get into its man offense. Tennessee, I think, still runs a lot of modified flex stuff, a lot of stuff that I think um, Davidson has run and Bob McKillop's version there. And So what that means is they are a team that's not pick-and-roll heavy. They don't come down. They don't set a ball screen. Tennessee has to initiate its offense, work off-the-ball screening action, and have the ball flow to spots. So they'll flow into an Akamo post-up. They'll flow into um, San Diego Vescovi coming off a screen and shooting. So if you can speed them up and get them a little bit out of rhythm, they seem to operate a little bit less efficiently. The 21% turnover rate is not gaudy, but if you're Missouri and if you can get one out of 5 turn one out of 5 possessions into a transition opportunity where you're not having to face that set defense, you don't have to do it all night, but are there certain lineups or periods where you feel like you can press, get some transition buckets and take some pressure off offensively? while you're also maybe slowing up what Tennessee's able to do at their end of the floor. So using your defense to create a little bit of offense and sort of just get a little bit of a cycle going. Um, Especially if Viscovi is handling the basketball, not as sure-handed as the guy Ziegler is, and Tyreek Key is kind of a guy that they'll use at the combo guard spot, but he's more of a scoring guard than an initiator. Mm -hmm. So just one thing to keep an eye on. Does Missouri try and press and try and use that To either one delay Tennessee getting into what it wants or try to generate a little bit of a marginal advantage offensively. So that would be the other thing I would kind of keep an eye on. Matt, Tennessee
0: is also third in the country for their offensive rebound rate. Yeah, they got a lot of big dudes. (laughs) (laughs) So on top of, uh, you know, uh, Kamwa, who is a really nice athlete at 6'9. Uh Euros Popsic is seven one and uh Jonas Adu is six eleven with uh like his wingspan's like seven foot eight or something. It's a like plus that. seven like, wingspan. It's yeah, kind of it's like, it's, yeah. it's it's a ridiculous wingspan. He's a pterodactyl, is really what he is.
1: <laughs> so maybe. Julian Phillips is like a plus six or plus yeah. five, and he's their <laughs> freshman hybrid. So yeah, a he's already six eight. So yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't need a whole lot, but he's he's got it. Point is, they got a lot of long dudes, and like even a guy like Julian Phillips is a low usage guy, like doesn't you know score very well out of spot ups, isn't like the greatest cutter. But that guy can get on the glass and crash. So your thought would be, okay, if we want to maybe protect Kobe again, let's put him on Julian Phillips. Well, you need Kobe knowing where the heck Julian Phillips is so you can hit him and keep him from flying in to get a putback. So there there's just there's so much length here, there's so much athleticism, and because Tennessee can guard you so effectively, you know the stretches where they do get boggy on offense potentially don't hurt them as much because you're not scoring while they're not scoring. so it's it's gonna be interesting to see how Missouri finds an edge here. A couple of years ago when they went down there, Missouri won shot a ridiculous percentage. But they were also able to really turn up the ball pressure. You know, Zoe ramped the ball pressure up that game, you know, put it on, you know, St. Oviscovi you know, to get Tennessee into stuff, and it didn't go well. They have Zakai Ziegler now, but I still think to a degree, do you try and, you know, tell your guys, okay, we're going to be assertive. We're going to play the way we want to at times, and we're going to let you get on ball pressure. We're going to let Des Moines Hodge and Kobe Brown try and, you know, turn guys, try and get into gaps. Or We're going to, you know, we're going to try and be the aggressor on defense and see if that can work for us. I don't know how much that's going to factor into it, but I think just coming down and trying to you know, get into your stuff isn't going to work. Tennessee's not going to let you do that. So what can you do in early clock? What can you get in transition? And what can you do to try and give yourself some easy scoring opportunities? You're going to, have to maybe take a little bit of a risk defensively and, try and apply some pressure.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those games where I mean, you really kind of hope that the road three-point shooting just decides to show up, and if it does, I think Missouri has a shot. If it doesn't, it's fortunately a game that will not hurt them if they lose.
1: <laughs> but margin control.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's also maybe the benefit of Tennessee not being uh, phenomenal on, uh, on on offense is, you know – that they're they're unlikely to drop 109 points on you um you know if, if you're having a rough night so
1: yeah uh, they beat georgia 70-41 beat lsu
0: 77-56 right but that's it, it's one of those things where it's like yeah the their ability to hold you down is what's what you get the margin about. wide um it, it but you know like the margin at this point it, i don't really think is you know it maybe it'll impact you know, seating a little bit, but but having that, that Q1 loss,
1: no, is, the key, is that not one I think Yeah. Uh losing to South Carolina will will have right. repercussions. You, you can't lose
0: that one. If you lose to Tennessee, you lose to Tennessee. Um but you know, I you know, it's just for for the this team and the way that they play, we've seen so much is, is predicated on on how well they're able to score, how well they shoot the ball. Uh, if they can force some turnovers and, and hit some threes like they can really like they can put a scare into Tennessee. Is it going to happen? I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think. A lot of people were feeling a lot better about that trip to Starkville than I was, and I wasn't feeling good. I was it. not feeling very well about that trip at all, Um, you know, but I, I, I will say that I think I probably have a little bit more optimism about going to Knoxville than I uh, I am Starkville. Maybe that's that's absurd, but um you know, I I still think they catch a loss, but I I think it, it'll I think it'll be closer than um,
1: This like is Starkville. a week you just like, have to that get game, The game didn't feel close. No, and and this is a week realistically you just have to kind of get the split and do what you need to do. If if you get you know, a win, even by the margin over South Carolina and, you know, lose by 13 at Tennessee. That's, that's not going to be a shocker. You just want to avoid, you know, disaster tomorrow night. And then I think you really get into probably what is to me, you know, the one that they're, I don't think Missouri's going to get to lock status at all. I think they're going to have to be a team that's going to, you know, solidify its spot as solidly in, but they're not going to, they can't lose out and get in the NTA tournament. So, I don't think they're ever going to be a lock. But the Auburn trip, Texas A&M at home, Mississippi State at home. I think you got to get one out of those three. And, and, you know, so if you look at it in the next week, they got to go two and two in the next two weeks to me, or, you know, two and at least two and three, mm-hmm. you know, in the next five to feel okay. You, you, we'll talk about it when we get here, but. Watkins and I play with the numbers enough. I know people are going to say, if you go 500, you should be in the NCAA tournament. Man, going 500 means you've lost a game. You've either lost all your quad one and quad two games, and now the quad one and two part of the resume look really bad or look like eight and nine or eight and 11. And when you have as many quad four wins as Missouri has, the committee is going to ignore that entire right side. They're going to look just the first two and they're going to see an eight and 11 basketball team. And the SOR will probably take a hit because of that. And they're going to see some poor predictive metrics. You don't want to go four and four. You you don't want to. It's it. You especially don't want to go four and four (laughs) taking a loss to South Carolina, Georgia, LSU or Ole Miss. So as of today, I think Missouri should be in. I don't think, again, I don't want to be alarmist, but I'm just saying five and three is what you want. And you probably want to get a one win out of Auburn A and M and Mississippi State to feel yeah. moderately okay.
0: I I would just sort of say that with the, the predictive metrics where they are and the, the net where it is, that you know, the strength of record is will carry them and is carrying them right now, and why I think they're they're safe, you know, if if we we're making Today a they right are. now. Right. So and why I think they're safe you know if you made the bracket today um but going forward you don't want to give the committee any reason to look at the weaker parts of your resume and the weaker parts of the resume are is their their net number their you know their predict metrics, you know, ratings um, the quad
1: four column uh, just the number of games in the quad four column
0: yeah like you you, do, you don't want to give them any reason to to start picking apart your resume because if you do that then you're gonna be a lot closer to the bubble than you want and I think if you basically if you find a way to get to five wins uh, the rest of the way then you're probably not giving them a whole lot to, to nitpick and, and and you'll be in it won't, you won't have the best seed but you'll you'll feel comfortable that you're getting in
1: yeah and as Watkins will probably write about this at some point realistically like the NCAA pretty much follows like it, it, it can pretty much template the first eight seeds in every region. It's going to really lean hard on you know what the metrics tell them. And most of the time those teams have good strength of record numbers, they have good quad one numbers. It's really easy for them to seed the first 32 teams in the tournament. the shit can get crazy between spots 9 and 12. It yeah. really is down to just the what the people in that room think. It and there are some decisions that get made where you're like, "Yeah, I don't I guess" And realistically, what Missouri needs to do, if it's on the nine line, which is, I think, where it is right now, that's still in close enough range where the NCAA is just going to not really think about you. They're going to look at your SOR. They're going to see it's 20. They'd see maybe five, you know, eight quad one and quad two wins. They're not going to see any bad losses. And they'll say, okay, this is a number nine seed and drop you in. And they're not going to think about it. But you, like you said, if you start taking a quad three or four loss, if you start getting that SOR closer to thirty or thirty-five with the poor, you know metrics there, are they going to start saying, and, this Missouri team's got a few good wins, but overall, what's the, you know was that more indicative of just a couple good nights, or was it, you know, you know, is this really good team? You just don't want to be in that discussion where they're starting to pass around and horse trade on resumes. You just don't want that." And going five and three doesn't guarantee you like an eight seed or a seven seed, but it just keeps you out of that kind of really fine parsing and kind of the whims of the committee that day. So just do we need to do go five and three? Don't get in that mixer. Don't get in that conversation. All right. Anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? No, no. Um, I think I think we've covered it all. I think we've we've been sufficiently critical without being critical and alarmist without being alarmist. <laughs> That's
0: it's it's how you want to roll. Um well it, it's going to be interesting either way, because you know, Missouri has uh has proven they're they're a fun team. They're at least interesting. Uh so South Carolina, uh Tennessee this week. We'll be back next week to talk about all of those uh games and then the the
1: week coming up which would be Auburn and what Texas a yeah yeah really interesting week next week I'm I, I've had that even in preseason I had that week circled that felt like a a week that if you're Missouri you could really do a lot to solidify some things and I still think that's the case next week a two and a week next week I think would be absolutely huge for them absolutely huge but we'll talk about it when we get there
0: sweet uh yeah so Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you uh, do enjoy this podcast, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast. That's the Apple Podcast app or the Google Play Store. If you are subscribed, you'll also get episodes before the box score beamed directly into your mobile device. Uh, BK and Nate are back this week. I believe they're recording tomorrow night, and uh, it's, it's a mailbag too, so it uh, should be interesting. Uh, also head over to com. You can check out Watkins published his uh, updated uh, bracket S-curve. Um, always an interesting post. And, uh, and all of our, our you know pre- and post-game coverage. Do the Twitter thing. You can follow Matt at MattJHarris85. You can follow me at SamTSnelling. Get hey, Watkins follow at DataMizzou. Uh, and we'll be back next week to talk all about your Missouri Basketball Tigers.